Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Doing it and doing it and doing it well. This is Morning Combat, and my name is, yes, that BBC with that BDE, Brian Campbell. I represent CT while my co-host was raised down in Doha. And this shit-eating grin on my face has purpose because we are one sleep away, as the great John Anik would say, from UFC 271, Adesanya Whitaker Part 2. And Beastie fired the hell up to kick things off Friday, February 11th, 2022, to set the stage alongside with my co-host, he is the best non-fighting fight analyst in the game today. And he's wearing his high school debate team jersey. It's Luke Thomas. It's actually a Sean Price rugby uh, long sleeve shirt. You know, I, do you know who Sean Price is? I'm guessing you don't. I do, Luke, okay? I do. Oh, you do? Okay. So that's what that is. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, your <laughs> first rule of improv, Luke. Yes, okay, keep it going. Luke, great to see you today. Do you have the same, you know, what's that word? Cocksure that I do right now about 271, about just being alive. I mean, we got spring-like temperatures out here, Luke. Yes, and the sun doesn't go down till after 5 o'clock now here in your nation's capital, which I'm very delighted about. It was, dude, it is awful when it's 445 and it's dark outside. I have yes. to say, it's not a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun at all. But, Luke, you know, winter depression or not, we're bringing it today because that's what we do. We win awards. We're the best damn combat sports show, period. Okay? The people voted. This is a fact. Uh, uh, sportspodcastawards.com is another place you can vote for us to win another award for best combat show of 2021. So, little Barry Horowitz to, to the hardware we claim, the hardware we still want to claim. You can help us out. Maybe you get a live show out of it. Connor, Vegas, Summer. Maybe, whatever. But I'm not going to bore you with things to buy or a lot of talk about what Luke's weekend plans are because this is it, guys, okay? Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker, part two. Luke, are you ready to jump in the pool? Are we going to plug Showtime and then the, the store I, I mean, we can. We can. I just think the people come here for MMA. But, you know, Showtime.com, a great place to take a 30-day free trial of all things Bellator, championship boxing, great movies, documentaries. And all that. It's the label that pays us 
And whether you pound sand in the end or GFY, we hope you take the plunge just the same. Buy our merch at morningcombat.store. Uh, we got the best merch in the game. RJ Dunkelmaker, make sure of that. So uh, get our stuff. You're going to love the way it feels on you. I guarantee it. Topic number one, let's not waste any more time. Houston is the summit. This time around for the rematch, nearly three years later, UFC 271, the pay-per-view, going down this Saturday night. And what is going down is potentially a, a historically important, potentially great rematch between two of the top 185-pound fighters in history, two of the best fighters in this era. But Luke Thomas, as we now get through a, a fun and long week of setting the stage storyline-wise, today is where we earn that check. We do film study. We do X's and O's. We do, what are you, a numbers guy? Yeah, sometimes we are. So, Luke, let me start the analysis of this great fight that you know BC's been banging that drum for for a while. I want you to answer true or false here to two quick questions, then I'll throw it to you. Is the only person that's going to end up beating Israel Adesanya at middleweight and solving this puzzle someone that's got to be completely well-rounded? Chin, boxing, takedowns, takedown defense, credible submission defense, power, speed, IQ, experience, all that and then some. True or false? True. I think that is true. I think if you examine... Then second question, Luke okay, Thomas, okay. and then, I, then I'll tee you up with an alley-oop. Whether or not the first fight at UFC 243 was the result of Robert Whitaker's fatigue, mental toughness, you know, all the journey he had to go through or not, isn't true or false Robert Whitaker the most equipped person in the world today at this weight class to potentially do that this Saturday night? Yes. That is true. That is true. I think what you're spotlighting as what kind of fighter would have to exist to give Adesanya problems, and then when you simply survey the list and who gets closest to that comparison, both in terms of achievement and, again, what the tape shows, Robert Whitaker's your guy. We, we know this, but it is worth saying out loud, BC, I think. Robert Whitaker is not here in any way, shape, or form by accident. It is true that I'm sure the UFC wants to nurture some of their more important relationships between two fighters, right? Guys who are rivals. I'm sure that the UFC has thought long and hard about what they want to do in the oceanic region with New Zealand and Australia. And I'm sure that that matters to them to some degree in how fights generally get made, but maybe even this one to a degree a little bit. I don't want to say that there's no marketing behind it whatsoever, but, but even if there was zero marketing, Robert Whitaker is your guy. The guys he beat to get there and how he did it is extremely important. I think it will tell the story, win or lose for Robert Whitaker, of this upcoming fight. And I had just tweeted at BC before the show, if you look at his first nine fights at middleweight, he attempted a total of five takedowns. In the three, that, that would include the Adesanya loss, which by the way, he attempted zero. In the three fights since then, he has attempted a total of 22. Now, granted, some of that is a little bit skewed because it's 13 against um, uh, the Brit, um, Darren Till, excuse me. But And some of those were just like, I'm going to use these for strikes. But he doesn't have any other three-fight campaign, BC, where he attempted at least one takedown uh, in each of those three fights. This is a new strategy. It's not that he's trying to be Habib, of course not. But to your point... Mixing in the smarts, mixing in 
uh, all the other skills that he has, really leaning on that Batman-like tool belt around his waist, and the results speak for themselves. And look, I don't say this to try to be cheeky or start some 30-minute explanation of all the ways Robert Whitaker can and will win and just not, you know, not remember the result of their first fight or how great Adesanya is. I say it more to celebrate this matchup, but also to say, look, I'm sorry. I've watched the tape a million times, not 49 times, but I've seen enough of <laughs> the, the loss for Whitaker against Adesanya at 243 and the subsequent three-fight win streak from Whitaker. And what I'm here to tell you is we got to throw out that first fight, not throw out the lessons Whitaker can learn, but throw out circumstantially who they were at that moment and just say this rematch has the potential to answer all the questions that we really had that first time that we didn't end up getting there. And again, whether we didn't end up getting there because it was more than 50% that Whitaker was compromised or whether that's just a narrative or an excuse or a storyline, one thing I think you can agree with by rewatching their first fight for as well-rounded as Robert Whitaker is, and boy is he, he brought the wrong game plan into that first fight. He's saying he brought the wrong mindset. He brought the wrong, you know, fragility of his body physically. He brought a lot of wrong things in there. But first and foremost, Luke, he brought the wrong strategy to come in there consistently on a straight line. And even though he disguised his attempts offensively very well, his defense was tight for the most part, save for that quick knockdown at the end of the first and obviously the finish. But he's still coming in in a straight line, loading up, using a ton of energy and effort. And if you're going up against Israel Adesanya, I'm not here to tell you Adesanya is one-sided because that suggests that there's only one way he can win a fight, and that's not true. But I am here to tell you, if you're going to walk into the spider web of the dominant skill of what makes somebody so great as Adesanya, at the, in the, at the end of the day, Luke, you're going to deserve the loss you got. And Whitaker, looking back, compromised or not, He's not bringing that same game plan into this rematch. And I think the last three fights prepared him perfectly for the plan that he will end up bringing in, which is obviously going to look a lot more well-rounded to match his skill set. I think that is absolutely correct to me when I think about why this rematch is so important and what to anticipate. I, I rewatched the first fight, as I'm sure you did, and it's just, it's just not a great uh, strategic approach from Robert Whitaker. In some ways, very uncharacteristic for him in that sense, especially when you compare that to the three subsequent fights where he did really retool things. But so the first thing I would say is I am in complete agreement. Here's the biggest lesson from that first fight for me. It's that I'm sure his mindset wasn't great. The strategy wasn't great. But <clears throat> I do think it is worth at least pointing out if Whit Whitaker tries to just have a striking match with Adesanya again, I don't think he can win that. Frankly, I don't think he can go five rounds doing that. Adesanya is just, in terms of pure MMA striking versus Rob's, Rob's is elite, but Adesanya is the specialist of this all special. So in that level, he can't win. But the lesson, as we've indicated from those three fights is, well, geez, A, he's a very good striker, to be absolutely clear, and B, when you begin to put these other pieces of his game together, he is just super formidable in every dimension. When everything is playing off the other thing, it raises the overall level of what he can do to a significant degree. So he has heading into the second fight, he's got the benefit of learning a lot of important lessons about some of the striking that will work. Obviously he's gonna have to strike a little bit, right? Some of that worked, take that back, bring it in, and then use all the other things he has put into practice. Again, BC, this is not, for example, the second fight with Hughes and GSP, where it's like, I don't really know 
what Matt Hughes is going to do all that differently. Now, Matt Hughes won the first time, so it's a little bit differently, but you realize that St. Pierre was a little bit mentally overwhelmed the first time and blah, blah, blah. But you're just thinking about the rematch. Like, dude, what's he going to do differently this time to get the win? There's a lot of things he not only can do differently, he did them differently in the three fights after the loss. This is, if you're a Robert Whitaker fan, I would argue, and he looked great on the scales, by the way, best case scenario heading into a rematch. Right. Nobody wants to go through like some of the hell he went through physically and mentally, but it's made him better for it because of how Whitaker raised his game in those three tests. He had to go five round chest match with Darren Till that really, you know, he got his chin, chest, chin tested a little, but it was more about you got to carry out a high level game plan against a guy who is who is able to control the fight on his terms. And let's credit Till, he at least did that. Then against Cannoneer, Luke, we really got to see more of that evolution and in, in, in saw his chin, saw his perseverance in, in some of the scares with his front leg getting chopped up, all that. But I think he really needed the Gastelum fight as well. Uh, sorry, a Cannoneer three rounds. He needed the, the, the most recent one because I know that Gastelum can rightfully be a polarizing figure in that he raises his game so high and then can look so ordinary at times. But I saw Gastelum who, who was dialed in and I think some of the things that Whitaker had to deal with, with poise, spacing, timing, all of that, becoming more of a counter-striker, were very key preparations for what might happen on Saturday night. Because, uh, again, you know, you come at Adesanya, that's what he wants you to do. That's what a guy mm -hmm. like Vittori can only do. That's what a guy like Brunson can only do. And when once Brunson was unable to take him down, of course, or, you know, even Vittori did get an early takedown and couldn't do anything with it, then it just becomes, look... Uh, Adesanya is going to stay at that back foot and chip away at you until the the scales shift, until you become fatigued or you start getting marked up, and then he's going to turn the tables and come forward, and more often than not, he's going to finish you. So just on its surface of what this rematch could look like, how different will it look, I think we're going to see the first time of Whitaker needing, needing to execute a flawless game plan, of course, to beat somebody like Adesanya, but such a well-rounded one, Luke, that I think... If you look at the tape study history of Adesanya, if you're Whitaker and team, you will want to take certain pieces of what the very few people who have had success against Adesanya on the feet have done. And I think there's enough there. It's asking a lot of a well-rounded fighter like Whitaker to put off a completely perfect, well-rounded attack. I do think, though, he's equipped for it. And I'm very interested to see, you know, if you're going to ask me, BC, what's the thing you're most interested to see early in round one? whether Whitaker can establish himself as the counterpuncher and make Izzy come forward like Romero did, uh, whether you want to give him credit for the, for the things he did or not. And Luke, that changed that tenor of the fight. You make Izzy have to chase you or potentially take a risk like he did with the judges. I think that's a starting point for Whitaker to potentially have some success. He's got to land much more than Romero ever even thought of attempting to do. But I think you got to make Izzy come to you, if at all possible, Luke. Yeah, this is exactly what Blahovich did. Backed up, backed up, backed up, waited for Adesanya to get open, shut down all of his leg kicks, which we haven't talked about. We'll talk about that in just a second. And then when he was kind of close to him, you would see these, like, he would wait for Adesanya to throw, right? And then he would blitz him behind it with a three, four punch combination, sometimes ending with a kick and landing it. To me, BC, I think that's really important. I'm going to pair what you said with the leg kicking. What was one of the major reasons? It's 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 so subtle, but when you pay attention to it, Think about how many times, how many rounds you can go back in, let's say, in the Romero fight, in the Blahovich fight to an extent as well, but in the, in the, even in the second Vittori fight. Sometimes when guys are a little bit neutral-ish or not too heavy with their offense, 
One way Adesanya is able to like get rounds in the bag is he goes heavy to the leg kick, uh, the low leg kick. He's very, very good at that and getting out of the way and just kind of scoring with it all the time. It scored a lot in the Whitaker fight for whatever it's worth. Blahovich, one of the big things he did was from the word go, he was checking everything. He was checking everything he could. Those were not landing very well. And he was kind of waiting for Adesanya to get inside of punching range. And then again, he would blitz on top of it. Those are things I think that Whitaker could do. I don't know how much he's interested in checking because he bounces a little bit. But to your point, in terms of backing up and then being able to score on him in a counterpunching way will be huge. But I do think we should not lose sight of the leg kick if um, a guy like Whitaker can either check him or what I'll be looking for is does he catch them? It's a way to sort of get that takedown kind of cheating it a little bit. You don't have to really wrestle so much. You can just catch it. That could be kind of interesting as well. Because if you're gonna, if I'm gonna try to start to build a game plan for Whitaker to 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 make this more competitive, to make this the fight it could be, you know, I I, I want to jump in and say, okay, you got to establish your jab and use it as a weapon. But he's not as big as Blahovich, and Blahovich is sneaky with the way that he he's got sneaky speed, and also he's very smart in his timing to set up shots. And like you said, he made Izzy kind of have to come after him, and then he was there with that big jab. I'd say Whitaker, you're gonna the jab's gonna have to be part of it. But, mm-hmm. man, it really starts and ends with you need Izzy coming at you because Izzy's, you know, plan A is to build that spider web and have you come in. We all know that. It's not that he can't win with plans B or C, but Whitaker can't win unless he takes Adesanya into plan B or C. So, Luke, when you look at the history, again, of people who have had some kind of success, um, the only thing uh, the only thing that, uh, what's his name, uh, Derek Brunson had success on was getting Adesanya to the clinch on the, on the standing. but it was always in an effort to try to take him down and he was continuously unsuccessful to points that he left himself open off the brakes because a lot of times his punches were too wide. He didn't have the hand speed and the accuracy. Whitaker getting the fight into a standing position in close, it's not not an easy task at all, but it's possible, Luke. How is he going to, you know, short of taking out a side of you down, which would obviously be a, a huge, uh, you know, hope, but it's something that doesn't happen consistently, how much do you think Whitaker, as the smaller man, though, could have that success if he can get inside on, on Adesanya and dirty this up a bit? Not to the levels that, let's say, DC was saying on the commentary ahead of their first fight of, this has got to be a, you know, a rough, raw war. But you've got to be able to take away that reach and that timing of Adesanya, and the best way may be through the clinch. Maybe, but you've got to be careful there. I mean, I would say, uh, so the best we've talked about this before, the best way to take Adesanya down if you look at the tape, historically speaking, which isn't to say someone else couldn't change this by virtue of ability, but historically, when they press Adesanya to the fence line, and in fact, he'll sometimes invite it a little bit for this reason, he's actually very hard to take down along the fence line. Izzy gives up the takedown when he is removed from that space and he throws in the middle of combination or whatever he's doing and someone gets underneath it. That is the best way to, to, to get him because then he has to wrestle scramble right, where he'll stop the first takedown, then you chain it together, and then he can do that. By the way, Robert Whitaker can chain takedowns together, so that's something he'll have to pursue. But if you're going to get to the clinch, I would be, you know, again, his coaches will know more than I ever will, but I would, as just an observer from afar, my personal view, BC, is that's a little perilous. I think you can do it, A, to off-balance him for short bursts, and then you can break and then win on the clinch break. But I think if you're going to do that, you would want to do that almost like you're only assuming a wrestling posture and then only looking for offense on the break. I right. think if you try, and Rich Franklin talked about this. He thought, oh, you know what? When I went into the clinch with Anderson, I, the clinch was a strong position for us. I thought we were going to do well, and then Anderson completely annihilated him there. I don't know if it's the exact 
that same dynamic. But what I would say is in open space, BC, Adesanya is very good in the clinch from offense. His knees are good. His ability to off balance and turn are good. He's going to be taller than Whitaker, which means he's going to have a natural flow with that position a lot easier. So he can do it, but under very strict conditions. Romero was able to get into punching range without taking heavy damage, but he overcommitted to defense, but it really was the threat of his strikes. He at least landed that big overhand right on Adesanya in round one to set a tone that if you mess with me, the Cobra is going to take you out. I'd like to see some of that from Whitaker, of course. And I know I'm asking a lot of him to really have constant threats and balance it out. But Luke, the one who has had the most success is Kelvin Gastelum. And you go back and you watch the tape. Gastelum's just a different kind of fighter than Whitaker. He's got quicker feet. He's more of a dart in and dart out. And he committed to taking hella damage against Adesanya to have that success. Are there elements, though, of at least the idea of what Gastelum did to have success that you think Whitaker can use? Be meaning, look, I'd like the idea of him staying on the outside and making Adesanya chase, but you're going to have to offset that, of course, with, with, with running in, with combination attempts. If he can improve his footwork, if he can find angles to do that, anything but a straight line, no matter how well you're disguising it, is going to have to be a, a, a possibility and a threat because as much as you want to slow down the offense here, you're going to have to land big shots. And if Gastelum did one thing great, Luke, he didn't mess around with a jab. It didn't allow Adesanya natural counting opportunities. He got inside with footwork, and he only threw efficiently with heavy power shots that swayed momentum at times. There's some of that for Whitaker if he wants it. I don't know if I agree with that, candidly. Okay. Um, he here's why. Two things that I would point to. I, I mean, I can't say... I I'm skeptical. How about that? I would put it a little different way. Who the hell knows, right? I don't know. I thought Ngannou wasn't going to wrestle. I'm totally wrong. So I'll just say, from, the from this position, I'm a little skeptical. And the reason why, BC, is... One, remember, you had a different... I mean, yes, uh, uh, Izzy switches stances. But for a lot of that fight, you had Southpaw versus Orthodox, right? So it's a very unique setup for either guy. They could have particular strengths or weaknesses, depending on who they are in that relationship. So that's one... Again, yes, Whitaker can change stances, but in general, they were kind of orthodox versus orthodox a lot of the time. The other one thing I would say is, you know, Kelvin Gastelum has, in a lot of other fights, been hit a lot. In fact, in his Whitaker fight, he got hit a lot. In the Izzy fight, though, for whatever reason, again, it could be that open relationship between the stances, but he actually showed in that, in that particular fight, he showed really good head movement. He was able to get in on the slip line and get underneath so he was able to get inside some of those defenses from Izzy. And then he has, you know, pretty quick hands, pretty good combination work from there. Is that something that a guy like Whitaker excels at? I don't really see that as the way that he fights. I don't know that that's a blueprint that I would necessarily well, say is the most I, I obvious I think these are thing. blueprints he's got to touch on. Because, again, the whole key for Gaston there, along with the head movement, was the efficiency of shots. You're going to come and jab in you know, like Vittori did, you're going you're gonna to get pieced up. So there's some combination here, Luke, of the threat of the takedown, of working off the break, of, uh, of you know, doing all this that that could give Whitaker well, just, this, this best shot thing. to to at least improve his chances. And I think he the Gastelum fight for Whitaker, the most recent one, was probably the best showcase of that well-rounded attack. He was on his back totally. foot for a lot of that fight and that success, and obviously he also, in top position, once he took him down, was very successful. I think that's totally correct. He has peaked to a degree with that Gastelum fight. It was seven takedowns. He got four of them. I mean, he was just in total command, not just of that dimension, but you go back and you watch the tape, the jab, that combo, the jab cross, high kick that he throws, that landed in the first round. I mean, it was a total showcase. 
But just think about this. It's the same thing that Gastelum discovered in the fight with Adesanya that in terms of the takedowns, Blahovich did as well. Dude, Adesanya is hard to hit. You can do it, of course, but it's not so easy to land clean on him. When is he going to be most open? He is going to be most open when his punch is extended, right? That's where the space will exist to get underneath for the takedown. And this is what Gastelum discovered. If he could slip past the jab or the cross, whatever he was slipping, now he had all of the space to land punches or whatever he wanted to do as well. Got, you know, attempt takedowns. You got to get Adesanya to here because if he's looking at you and doing all of whatever the thing he does, yeah, you might hit him, of course, but it's just got to be a lot harder. It's the same thing. You got to get underneath his offense and then, or, or inside of his offense. And from there, he is vulnerable. Yeah, you cannot, under any circumstance, hang out in the middle area unless you're committing to that high guard and you're going to really go low output. You're still going to get tagged because the speed difference is clear between these two. And Whitaker's fast, obviously. He's, he's you know, he's really well-rounded across the board. But Luke, on the flip side, and let me bring in the betting odds here as we shift to the Adesanya side of it uh, more permanently, is DraftKings has it minus 290 Adesanya, your betting favorite, plus 230 Whitaker. What type of changes, because they had monster success, Team Adesanya in the first fight. And really, Luke, okay, there was the stinker with Romero, there was the loss to Blahovich, but even in that Blahovich loss, look, Adesanya fought well. There, there, were, there was a lot of things to like. It's hard to make the narrative. You know, you can make the narrative Whitaker improved more in that time frame. Okay. But it's hard to make the narrative that Adesanya is still not as dominant or more, and, and he's certainly, you know, continuously going in the right direction. What type of changes, if any, uh, would behoove them knowing that they're going to get, a, at, at the very least, a fresher Robert Whitaker on Saturday? Well, I think certainly early on, patience. I think if your team Adesanya, I'm not saying you want to punt on the rounds, but you might want to give it a look to see what Robert's showing you before you decide exactly what way to do it. Which, by the way, here's another advantage for Rob. I think Rob gets to go in there and set the tone a little bit early if he wants to, right? I'm going to show you and razzle-dazzle you. You know, not that he's going to just show all his cards at once, but he at least began, you know, he gets to the first move on the chessboard as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that, you know, depending on how things go, that do between guys this good, the smallest thing can make a difference. And if he can pick up a round or two just by getting in front creatively and putting Adesanya on the back foot because he's waiting, you know, that could have an effect. So I do think he should wait, but obviously not too long. That's the first thing I would say. I think the second thing I would say is, dude, I, I really believe Adesanya, the strength of his offense, it's not that the leg kicks are the best, or the most important thing that he does. But if you take the leg kicks away, it forces him into boxing range. And then he takes a few more risks with what he's doing. They don't always work out. I really, really believe that they should be wary of that and careful and find ways to get the leg kick going. It had an effect in the first fight, BC. You noticed before, whatever the game plan was, we both agree, very suboptimal game plan by Whitaker the first time. But even in that first fight, he's bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. And the leg kicks had an effect by the second round. He was much more flat-footed. They, they've got to find a way to get that going. And then obviously, what strikes are you going to throw when you're in the middle of the, the, the fence or the, 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 the space, you're not along the fence line, what strikes are you going to throw to make sure that you can land and deter him, but that he doesn't you know, use it to get where you're, you know, you've seen Adesanya throw things off balance and then guys get under him. They have got to be very, very disciplined about that. So I'm expecting some body work from Adesanya, jabs to the body, jabbing in general, getting low, keeping his level low so he can be ready to, to sprawl and everything else he has to do. 
And if you're Whitaker, obviously taking away that is going to be is going to be pretty critical as well. Luke, I think at least through the first three rounds, this is going to be a very slow one strike at a time, you know, sniper matchup. It's not going to be, you know, as slow as the Romero fight, but I think you're going to see some elements of that because because of the stakes, because of the the idea that that you know you're neither guy's coming in here with I don't think with the threat that they're going in the wrong direction or that they can lay an egg here. I mean, this is going to be high high level IQ, which I think both excel at. Again, even in the wrong game plan, Whitaker coming forward in the first fight. He dressed up those, those attempts very well. The combinations, the Superman punches, all of that. But I don't think you can win a fight against Adesanya if your mindset is you're going to knock him out. I really don't. I like that. That can't work for Whitaker. So, Luke, do you do you personally think Robert Whitaker can win five rounds against him? Well, really, what you're asking is, can he win three? Um, that's true. That's a true point. Yeah, he could. He could. To me. He could do it both with a strong performance. I, sh I should say this. He could do it with a strong performance, but I do think for a three-round victory over Adesanya, either he's improved even more than I think he has. And by the way, I think he's improved substantially. Uh, but I also feel like it would require Adesanya to make tactical and strategic mistakes. Now, it should be noted, we've seen those. Uh, we have seen miscalculations from him. He is no fighter is perfect, including Adesanya. He is not a perfect fighter. He is a tremendous, tremendous talent, but no fighter is perfect. That is a winnable path, but I still think at some point in that scenario, you're, you know, it's hard to say, um, remember, it's one thing to have an opponent who makes a mistake and then you capitalize. It is quite another to make them make a mistake and then you capitalize. Whitaker, I think, to really win is going to have to make Adesanya make mistakes. And that is very hard to do. But with a more, you know, eclectic game plan in terms of all the offense he offers, that is doable. He's going to have to outthink him and out game plan him. And Luke, you know, all, all due respects and city uh, cuckling jokes aside, you are going up against Eugene Behrman, the master tact tactician. So that puts a lot of pressure on team uh, Whitaker, uh, who are those coaches and and, and uh, how much respect do you have? I, I don't hear a lot about on this side of the pond or the oceans, at least that of, of Whitaker's coaching team. I've forgotten about the names of his team. I've looked them up. The wrestling coach he has there is outstanding. They were featured. They've been featured in a number of um, of uh, like their countdown videos and whatnot. I, I apologize for not knowing them by name in that way, but certainly yeah. that team is listen, what you can say about both of those teams. And he brought in a recent, uh, according to the uh, countdown, Rob brought in a guy who was a, a sort of a, an Australian boxing legend, an older guy, to really help him work on some of his boxing mechanics. Like, dude, Rob's, and that, you saw some of that in I think of the Gasoline fight, if I'm not mistaken. But in any case, you have two teams who don't just have high-level strategic thinking. They have a very good relationship between coach and fighter. They trust one another. They listen to one another. They kind of understand what the other one needs. You didn't get a full sense of that in the first fight because Whitaker came in in a, in a you know in a, in a suboptimal way. I think you're going to get a much keener sense. This to me is going to feel a lot more like Volkanovski versus Holloway in terms of how close it ends up getting. Now, who will get the nod? We'll have to see. But you're going to see you're right some on. of that dynamic. Uh, look, I'm telling you right now, this is going the distance, and I'm telling you that it's going to be a very polarizing score either way because this is going to be a, th a chess match at the highest level. Uh, the back foot game from Whitaker against Gastelum really showed that if he wants to commit to being the counter puncher and even pulling an Adesanya and in, in, in getting offense going backwards at times, 
it's potentially in play. And again, you, you mentioned, okay, if you're going to beat Adesanya, you got to make him make a mistake. I think, Luke, if you're looking to knock him out, you got to make him make a mistake. And he doesn't make those mistakes in, in high-pressure situations. Um, I think you need to put him just in his least optimum state of winning a fight. Not again, not situations where he can't win a fight, but if you may, if, if you put the onus on him coming forward, you're going to open up more opportunities uh, to have success. If you're Whitaker, if you can pull that off now, Luke, there's been a lazy narrative of saying, okay, well, if you're team Whitaker, you just take the, the Blahovich game plan and use that Luke, They are so far different in size. I mean, you saw the, the face off at yesterday's press conference. It reminds you how much taller Adesanya is, uh, I don't, you know, you, you, you take elements in the spirit of it. You got to have the threat of the takedown, but we got to stop with that idea right there. Yeah, that's, we've talked about this a little bit ad nauseum, which is, you know, some of the ways Blahovich was able to win was when you look at his dominant grappling and you ask what exactly was dominant about it, it was just heavy top pressure, you know, and he, you could see him literally like pancaking Adesanya to the mat. Dude, Whitaker's not, dude, Whitaker couldn't do that against Gastelum. Now, to be clear, Whitaker did have, we should point this out, BC, Whitaker did have very good top control from half guard. He was able to keep Gastelum down for, I think, several minutes of the first round at a bare minimum. Like, he had, a, he was good at it. But, you know, Whitaker was underneath, sorry, I should say, uh, Gastelum was underneath moving and was able to eventually get to the top of the fence uh, standing up. You know, we've seen Vittori has a hard time keeping Adesanya down. I'm not saying that Whitaker can't do it for short and potentially impactful bursts. But this ability to pancake a guy like Adesanya, especially, we, I, I, you know, maybe it's just me. I feel like Adesanya's put on a little bit of muscle recently. Not a huge amount, but he looks to me a little bit more filled out than he has recently. I just don't see that as a realistic game plan. Getting a takedown, getting meaningful top control, doing some damage with it, 100%. Pancaking a guy and then riding out the no, round that way no. seems terribly unrealistic. No, the threat has to be there because he's going to have to use the threat of a takedown to open up other offensive opportunities, particularly on counters. But uh, I do have an update, by the way, if, it's, if you care about this card. The main event guys made weight. They both looked incredible on the scales, but the fight between Schnell and Alex Perez is off. Perez missed weight, and uh, Schnell refused the fight. So that one is off. It's like, fuck that guy. Absolutely. Uh, Luke, um, we've, we've heard a lot of Robert Whitaker sound this week from my uh, interview with him that you can catch on YouTube.com slash Morning Combat along with uh, Derek Lewis, Chris Colbert, Anthony Pettis, a lot of good stuff there uh, bonus-wise. But, Luke, we've got sound from Adesanya from Wednesday's uh, media day when he sat in front of uh, reporters in Las Vegas, and he had a very interesting thing to shout out. Let's throw to that. Yeah, I think he's a good fighter. He's a, he's a good fighter, um, and I think he has gotten better. I'd be lying if I said he hasn't, but, you know, uh, who was I? I saw on Twitter again. I have a lot of time during fight week, so I'm scrolling a lot, but I saw, I think, we, it was a Luke Thomas, yes, morning combat. They were saying, like, um, we, pretty much we know this. In MMA, we have recency bias. You know, you guys remember from the y'all fight, oh my God, this was so boring. No, he just runs away. And I was like, oh, really? Watch this. So, yeah, um, they just forget. You know, Rob's a. Uh, Luke, uh, that's real, you know, recognizing real. I'm, so I'm sorry to sit here and boast, Luke, but uh, that's what's up, okay? Dude, I have a high degree of respect for Israel Adesanya. It's been a joy to cover his career. I mean that gen quite sincerely. I think he's one of the most unique people we have in the sport. 
I think it's, um, you know, when he's gone, I think people will finally appreciate all the stuff that he did. And, you know, this is why I don't really consider myself a journalist. I don't really do journalism per se. I do much more sort of media hype really than anything else. But, um, yeah, dude, it's great to see. I've, I I think very highly of, of the middleweight champion. Very highly. I, I got a lot of DMs from, look, we already know the passion for, for combat sports down under for MMA and Australia and New Zealand is through the roof. Look, I got a lot of down under DMs are saying, hey, BC, you bitch. You old bitch. I know. I know you're cheering for Robert Whitaker. I know you're just jealous. You just went. But hey, 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 all of Australia and New Zealand, your boy BC loves him. Some Adesanya, okay? That's why, uh, part of why I love this fight so much, uh, whether I like Whitaker's chances or not. Uh, I'm so happy, Luke, that Adesanya, at least in theory, got paid with the announcement, as we mentioned uh, quickly on Wednesday's show, to become, quote, unquote, whatever this means, you know, one of the highest paid mixed martial artist in the sport's history. Luke, he talked about it very briefly as a quick aside in Wednesday's uh, press conference of saying, you know, there's going to be a trickle-down effect that he's excited about. What does that really mean? Do you think that he's saying maybe because of the Angano situation in, in John Jones and others bringing fighter pay so forcefully to light, at the very least, Adesanya got himself paid, whether you think that's a result of that or not. But it's not like Adesanya was saying the stars are going to start to be taken care of moving forward. Is that what he's saying, Luke? Could be that, but I don't think there's any... Listen, the UFC does respond to public pressure. They're very quiet about it. They're very, you know, behind the scenes about it. And, yes, and they're also resistant to other forms of public pressure. It doesn't always work. But the reality of that lawsuit was, and John Nash made this point recently, when you think about all the various entities that have at least attempted to do something on behalf of the fighters, right, to get more information, more awareness, just to meaningfully improve their situation... You can't really say that the double M, triple A, or the you know the professional whatever that thing that Boris tried, all that stuff didn't really do anything. It didn't. I mean, they tried. Project Spearhead tried. I want to say that they made a good faith effort, of course, but in the end, it was not very successful. What was successful was, and it's not even over that lawsuit. A bringing to light all the documents that we needed to make judgments about fighter pay, but more to the point, they introduced some of the sunset clauses and some pay went up for some certain guys, and so. It is entirely believable to me that Jake Paul, whatever else you think about him, ringing that fighter pay bell, and you can say he's disingenuous about it. Fine, maybe he is. But the fact that he's ringing that bell and everyone else and Nganu making these claims about it, I, I have a strong suspicion that that put them in a place where are they still, are, are the fighters optimizing how much they could get? I'm very skeptical of that. But I am not skeptical that all these things influenced the situation to bring Adesanya more money and good for him. That's well, how they it went after be. the right guy, by the way, you know, even, even if he's 33 years old or 32, whatever, Luke, I mean, this is the right guy globally to build around. And, you know, we remember the Eugene Behrman comments I mentioned on Wednesday, teasing that the UFC hasn't done a great job promoting him like they could have. It was interesting. Izzy on Wednesday did bring up that he felt the announcement of this fight with, by the UFC was just so whole hum and thrown out there and was purposely done as leverage since he was in the midst of an intense contract negotiation at the time. Look, they would never do that. That's ridiculous. I mean, come yes, on. That seems, that seems so uncharacteristic yeah. of the uh, hardball games they play. Why would they ever do something like that? I mean, Obviously, again, we don't know. Well, we should be clear. We don't know. We have no, no. idea. And We're just speculating. A guy like this get paid. He's a superstar. I think there's so much potential, even more for his brand to grow. If he, I mean, God, if he beats Robert Whitaker a second time and does it convincingly, Damn, you know, I mean, Let, let's let's talk about let's talk about that. Here are the list of middleweight champions as it stands today, BC. This is the list, the full list of them, right? Like how many have there been and and who are they? Here's the list. 
These are all the middleweight champions in UFC history. Dave Benet, Marilla Bustamante, Evan Tanner, Rich Franklin, Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold, Michael Bisping, Robert Whitaker. Uh, and then it was for the interim title. And then, you know, the whole thing with St. Pierre. Then Robert Whitaker got it back or whatever. Promoted to undisputed champion, whatever it was. Then Adesanya. And then the, he had it for interim, uh, interim time and then this one. So he's had it. If you look at who's had it longer, uh, obviously Silva would be the longest. 2,457 days. Weidman, 889 days, B.C., but his wins would include the Anderson Silva win, Machida, and then Belfour for the 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 getting the belt and then defenses. Uh, w- by contrast, Adesanya would have all the wins and then the Romero, Costa, and Vittori fight. I'm going to argue um, that if he beats Whitaker here, he is at worst, at worst, your second best middleweight of all time. At worst. Correct? Yeah, yeah, you're correct. You're correct, Luke. I told you when we did this peak pandemic at CBS Sports, when we just started ranking historically the greatest fighters in each UFC division all time. It was a tough debate after Silva at that point to really identify who the number two was because it was fairly even whether you were a Weidman guy, a Rockhold guy. Uh, you know, there were a couple other arguments you could have made coming in, hipster arguments. Is Adesanya already there? God, if he beats Whitaker a second time, he's already there. And by the way, Luke, if Whitaker comes back and avenges this, his only loss in this weight division and beats Adesanya... He's all that it, it all falls into why this fight's so great, why it's potential for some historic results, and why, Luke, I think, again, at the end of the day, I don't know if either one of these guys ever passes Anderson Silva. I would I would probably guess not. But I think they're gonna fight each other three times, and I think we're gonna remember Adesanya and Whitaker when it is all said and done as the second and third best middleweights in UFC history or the sports history or whatever. Um again flip-flop based on how this rivalry plays out but whether that just gave away my prediction or not i think we're seeing a third one i love these two i I love what it could what this matchup could bring it's why i've got a hard on from here to hand over luke i am so damn fired up about this fight do you have anything else to say luke about what could happen this is this is is, this is uh, elite mma doesn't come much better and just one final note is what i would say to folks just as a reminder this is why you want mma globalized mma gets better when you can pull in all the talent from africa all the talent from asia all the talent from from new zealand from australia in this particular case obviously and everywhere else and this is just scratching the surface they're just scratching the surface of how much unbelievable talent is out there and this is a great showcase for how much mma has developed and it's just a great showcase if you love elite mma you don't get much better than this. What a fight. What a contest. What two guys who brought us to this position. We are lucky, quite lucky, to be living through an era like this. All right, Luke, it's prediction time. I think you can tell where I'm going. We're going five rounds. The public will be split. The judges may even end up being split again. I think both will bring their very best game. You'll see a lot of adjustments. Really, this has the potential to be a great fight. Maybe not fight of the year, but strategically, tactfully, I am dialed in and ready and I've got Robert Whitaker winning the division, winning the decision here. And I've heard people say, for all you know, all the pump up and the puff up of Rob and making excuses for him, BC. How the hell is he actually going to get in there and beat Adesanya? It's not going to be easy. It's going to have to be a varied attack. You're going to have to make Adesanya come to you. You're going to have to know that you're going to lose at least two rounds. I mean, this is going to be X's and O's. Um, you know, I don't see him having monster success on the ground, but I see Whitaker getting a few takedowns and establishing that threat. He's going to have to have his chin tested because to go into the fire, he's going to have to win, you know, land something big to win these rounds, and he's going to get checked. Those counter hooks from Adesanya are deadly. 
But Luke, we have a reformed man who, you know, when Adesanya really started to become Adesanya, you looked around the roster and yeah, you love to talk yourself into the one punch potential of a Romero or, you know, what if this specific fighter could take Adesanya down the whole fight? But we're talking about, you know, a puncher's chance in those cases, a wrestler's chance. We got the real deal, well-rounded, potential all-time great fighter in Whitaker here. And I think he finds a way and gets it done. We haven't seen Whitaker, or, I'm sorry, Adesanya in this competitive of a fight at middleweight in a while since Gastelum, to be fair. Uh you're going to see it again on Saturday night, and we're going to see a great fight. Give me a majority split either way, Robert Whitaker. Luke, who wins on mm. Saturday? Wow, that's a bold pick. That's interesting. Um, I would say, and we don't know if this to in reference to our conversation on Wednesday, BC, about Pena and Nunez, right? Did you get the very best versions of both of them? And how, you know, it doesn't have, to, it doesn't require a huge difference on the right night for one to surpass the other, assuming one is kind of off and one is kind of on. Um, listen, Adesanya doesn't have room for error. He does not have room for error. I'll be just as clear about that as I can be. Any error made in this fight, either tactically, strategically, in the moment, whatever, is going to be very costly, and Robert Whitaker will make him pay for it. I'm expecting a very, very close fight, but I think A game to A game, if that's what we get, and who the hell knows, uh, I think Israel Adesanya is too talented. I think that he'll be able, for the most part, to bring the portions of his offense that matter to life enough to win three rounds. And I think he probably stops Whitaker inside the distance. But wow. but, but I'll say this, the fight going the distance would be of zero surprise. I mean, that you know, I just I think he gets it done inside the distance, but if it went, whatever. But I think in general, Adesanya, the better fighter, he should win. Luke, is is the public and the media overplaying how much Whitaker may or may not have been compromised the first time? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No, I don't think they were overplaying it. I, I, th- here's the thing. Again, it's the Hughes-GSP thing. Hughes won the first time, so the comparison doesn't work. But when they met up the second time, you're just looking and you're like, okay, Hughes is formidable, but like, what, what is it gonna, what's he better at than St. Pierre? You just, you, just, you just didn't know what it was. It's not the case here. It's yeah. not, dude. It's not. He has shown you through three tough-ass fights, three very, very good fighters, that he can make the kinds of changes that make his game better. It's just a fact. And so, you're de- unless he commits another cataclysmic strategic error, BC, which I'm just not expecting at all, he's way too smart, way too seasoned, you are getting a different fighter. It's not the same guy. You just have to respect that, whether you think he's going to win or lose, and I definitely respect that. They haven't made a lot of humans on this earth, Luke, who could go, 
10 full rounds against a prime Yoel Romero and come out with his hand raised twice, whether exactly. disputed or not. It may have cost him three years of his career, to be fair, <laughs> in terms of, I mean, he sat out a, a year after the first Romero fight, almost a year after the second one. Then he pulled out of two fights. He's all left up. Then he gets knocked out. He may have lost three years to his career, but Bobby Knuckles is still that guy. And if you believe he is, you believe he's got a chance. But your prediction, Adesanya winning by stoppage, boy, is that in play as well because we saw it the first time around and he is that great. Love this fight, Luke. Damn. Damn. It's, 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 you know what? It should be, you know, this, I, I, I'm as excited for this as, Maybe even more so because I would actually say this is more, much more uncertain even than Canelo versus Plant. But even then, you were like, "Damn, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to go." Right? Like this is there's a lot. There was a lot of reasons not to think that Plant could win in the same way. But you know, how was Canelo going to solve the puzzle? And that to me was very intriguing. In this case, it's like, how is Whitaker going to solve that puzzle? And if he does present a new puzzle, how is Adesanya going to solve it? It's just competitive in the best of ways. Two guys, dude. What are you going to say? Two guys in their prime. Two proven champions, two battle-tested champions who aren't over the hill. I mean, if you're an MMA fan, dude, what is it that you want? You want this every time. This is what you're waiting for. This is the stuff. You sit through all the rest of that bullshit so you can get these two. That's what you're waiting for. Motherfucker. This is why you lift them weights in the offseason. This is, yes. this, is, this is filet mignon. Fucking enjoy. You know? Is this the best pure fight on paper? Not necessarily taking commercialism into it. Sense Habib versus Connor, or Oof. was Holloway Volkanovsky that? Or hey, BC, shut up, just enjoy the fight. It's 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 it's. I'll just put it this way: I don't know exactly how I would rank it, but I'm being dead serious when I say it. I don't know how exciting the fight's going to be. All the promoter do is is can give you the fights that matter that you want to see that are important for the sport. They have done that here. You have it. The on paper, on paper. MMA fights simply don't, don't get better. They just don't. So that doesn't mean that the fight will be exciting, but for everything that a fan could ask for in a matchup, uh, they, it checks the boxes times a thousand. Well, if you like high-level MMA, the main event's going to bring it. If you like two guys entering inside of a cage prepared to bang, we got that too. Our Boy. second topic is, of course, the co-main event on Saturday night as Houston's own Derek Lewis comes back looking for some retribution from the... The egg he laid against Cyril Gaon last time out in Houston. We know now, Luke, it was the 15th anniversary of his release from jail. It was supposed to be this big moment. He, he froze, and, and he got handled by Gaon. Now he's got the upstart, Tai Tuivasa. We laid out the storyline. He's got a puncher's chance. He's in shape, Tai Tuivasa. He's got a huge, you know, marketing potential. The odds have it plus 150, Tuivasa is the underdog. Minus 170 for Lewis as the favorite. Luke, I can't talk myself into a scenario in which Ty wins this as much as I love the guy. What, what am I going to potentially say on, on Monday morning that I missed, Luke? If he wins, and I agree with you that, you know, I think Lewis is the favorite and should be, but we both agree that Ty Duivas is dangerous. This is one of those critical junctures we see. We see them all the time in boxing and in MMA. You see them all the time where if you just, like, again, we, we judge matchups based on the information that we have, right? And we always are working with limited information, but sometimes it's enough to make a judgment call that's correct, and sometimes it's not. In the case of Derek Lewis, you know more or less what you're getting, right? He's got a long tenure, 36 years old. You've seen him win. You've seen him lose. You've seen him be good. You've seen him be bad. you got a pretty clear sense of how he wins and what he's up against and why he's good, but what are some of his limitations? 
With Tai Tuivasa, we do have a sense of some, some of those things as well. But at 28 years old, getting better in the way that 28-year-olds do, the challenge for prognosticators is that those guys at those ages, sometimes, Marvin Vittori would be a case for me, where between fights, they just get dramatically better, like just dramatically better. So what you'd be believing in is you've seen some of that ability, marry that with improvements that you kind of have faith in existing but may not be there yet. You're banking on this guy's rate of improvement continuing and that being the difference maker. That may be a convincing argument for some of you. For others, maybe not. But I think that's the central tension in play here. The problem with Tuivasa's four-fight win streak, and oh God, he's such a perfect character, right? Bam, bam, we love the guy in every way, 28 years old. But the problem is, Luke, it's Stefan Struve by first-round knockout, Harry Hunsucker by first-round TKO, Greg Hardy by first-round TKO, and freaking Augusto Sakai. It's a good win by second-round knockout. It's a good win. I mean, it got that's him actually a big a, fight. That's a, that's a better win than you're giving it credit. Augusto right, it, Sakai it is not setting fight. the world on fire, but he's a good fighter. It had trap fight potential. It's the kind of fight you have to win to get to this point. But, Luke, we've also seen Ty lose to guys, you know, maybe he wasn't in the best shape, maybe whatever, but we've seen him get decision by Blogboy Ivanov, by Sergey Spivak, subbed him out. God, I have not seen enough, Luke. I have not seen enough. So they both say it's going to go less than one. They both say it's going to be a knockout. <laughs> we know what they bring to the table. Shout out to Tuivasa for creating the Shuivasa, Luke. He didn't get a chance, unfortunately, to try it out at the press conference as they had a snafu on getting Dana a can of beer. How do you have a, a Shuivasa gimmick but nothing to pour it in, Luke? Yeah, I don't know about all that. Um <laughs> I don't know about all that. I but. mean, Mark Ray Mundy was on first or uh, Sports Nation this morning pouring hot coffee into white sneakers. What's going on here, Luke? I mean, These can, people can, have listen, ruined the shoey. All right. Yeah, I mean, can we? Can you? Can you? Dull it? We did it too, so we're guilty as charged. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. But I mean, can we just stop pouring hot sauce and fucking coffee and athletic greens into people's shoes? Just <laughs> let him pour the beer in the shoe and fucking be done with it, please. For the all right, love of Luke. God. Um, how does Tuivasa win here? Does it? Um, you know, okay, God, if you could wrestle Lewis for four rounds and gas him out, he could stop him. No, he's not that guy. How does he win here, Luke? Is it one punch? Is it, let's make this as crazy a fight as it can be and try to catch Lewis tired and off balance? I mean, I, what's going to happen here? First of all, you know, I don't know if the, if the Spivak uh, method of victory is one that Tuivasa could use, but here's the thing. What if Tuivasa has really been working on his wrestling? Not that I think that Derek Lewis has terrible defensive wrestling, but it's not, it's, it's porous. Like you can get past it if you're a good wrestler, which we don't, you know, we don't have a ton of evidence that ties that way. But I'm wondering, like, you know, could he press him into the fence, maybe scoop him a double out, and then, you know, do some hammer work on top? That seems conceivable, if not exactly likely. Um, but I wonder if he's been really sticking with the jab. I wonder if a jab could be a thing where if he could pop it and then kind of get Derek. Derek Lewis is good when people underestimate him and kind of try to bring the fight to him in an overly aggressive way. Like Chris Dawkins, for example, would probably want that fight back for some of those reasons. I think he's very talented, but that probably wasn't his best showing. Um, I wonder if Tui Vasa, though, could, could learn from some of that, really stick the, behind the jab. I know that's not what he's necessarily been doing, but again, I do think he is smart. I do think he is capable of some good work, and I think that if he can find a jab, it brings the overhand punches that he likes and some of the bigger hooks into existence in even more full-throated ways. So... Again, I'm going to lean towards Lewis. Just we, we just know more about what he can and can't do. But I'm I, I want Tuivasa. He doesn't have to win here. He's got time. 
but show me development. Show me you're adding to the game where you're not just a fun, great brawler and, you know, a, a guy of promise in an, a vague sense. Put that promise into action. Show us something. I think that's what I'm looking for. And look, to be fair, as much as I love Derek Lewis, and we all do, he's 37. It's not like we haven't seen him have bad nights at the office where he's just not there, whether for the circumstances of the Cyril Gon fight. But Luke, gassing out against Mark Hunt, the JDS stoppage. I mean, the 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 kind of you know gimme decision he got against Alir Latifi, the the, uh, the the generous decision. Excuse me, after getting wrestled the whole time. I just think he has too much motivation at home to to redeem that that L he took last time out against Gon. Give me the first round stoppage for Lewis. Once he makes this a a war and a fight, he's too powerful. And his punches are short and compact when they need to be, Luke. And I think that's going to spell the ending for Tuivasa. You're probably right. Again, the thing is, I've been watching Tuivasa on Embedded. It's not like I didn't like him before, but he's really come across as, um, you know, talked about his kid and everything. I do think that, like, you know, maybe I don't know how he got into the sport and how things developed. And I think he likes the shooey gimmick because he's a fun-loving dude and it's part of his personality. But it also feels to me like he's having thoughts about where he wants to be in five years. And he really wants to execute on that vision. So, again, I'm going to pick Derek Lewis. I think we just know more about him. But I am curious about Tai Tuivasa. There is something special about him. There's something a little bit different. Maybe this fight will show up. Maybe it won't. But he's a definitely a guy to keep your eye on at least the next couple of years. And, by the way, if he wins this one, dude, I mean, you want to talk about an arrival moment. That is a huge win for him if he catches it. So oh, it's monster. And big, look for, big, for- fun fight. For it to be done, he's got to almost have a Juliana Pena moment in my eyes where he just decides – no matter what I get hit with, I'm not going down. I'm going to stand in here until I knock this guy out. I don't think it's physically possible. That's really my problem. But we've seen superhuman performances where people just decide, I'm, I'm not going away, Luke. It's happened. We have seen that. So maybe that's why the odds are so close. He brings a big punch. We'll see it uh, Saturday night. Can't wait. Topic number three is the rest of UFC 271. And Luke, you know, we talked just briefly earlier on Monday about the storyline and why this fight matters. You know you're fired up for this middleweight test. Potentially a number one contender's bout. Dana White would not, you know, uh, greenlight that officially on Thursday. But it's Jared Cannonier, a minus 160 favorite against Derek Brunson at plus 140. You love the stories of both, but Brunson at 38 a five-fight win streak out of nowhere. He's taking the sport more seriously. He's leaning on his strengths. I mean, but Luke, my biggest problem as you handicap this fight, and and believe me, the odds are close for a reason. These are two very good elite fighters. The style contrast is great. But most of Brunson's win streak almost came with the with the narrative of the older wrestler surprising the the not fully formed prospect by just outworking him. Obviously, Darren Till and the submission he had and, and, and really the the attitude Brunson fought with, that doesn't fit under that category. That's a great win that got him to this point. I don't think you're going to beat Cannoneer that way, though. That's my concern here. Hmm. You know what? It's an interesting point. So here in the case of Robert Whitaker, we talk about the changes that he made to his fighting style from the Adesanya loss, and all those changes have actually made him more dangerous to virtually any opponent you could possibly think of, right? It's such an elevation that it applies to literally anyone. It doesn't mean he'll beat Adesanya, but you're like, that's definitely putting you in the best position to fight Adesanya, and frankly, everyone else in that division. What he's doing is better. In the case of Brunson, it's a little bit different. He has eliminated the kind of errors that he brought upon himself 
by having a more thoughtful, a little bit slower, streamlined, focused game. And the results have been amazing. He beat Theodoru, Heinish, Shabazi, and Holland. And to your point, he beat Till much easier than Robert Whitaker, albeit in a very different kind of way. But that's where the rubber meets the road. It's like for all those things that you did against Theodoru, Heinish, Shabazi, and Holland, and Till, are they going to work against a guy like Cannoneer? And I, I grant BC, Hermanson is not the same kind of wrestler as Brunson. I am not comparing the two. But I will say that the scrambling that Cannoneer showed in that uh, Cannoneer, excuse me, in the uh, Hermanson fight was excellent, really, really good. I mean, it was urgent, it was fast, it was authoritative. He made clear decisions and then acted upon him, and he knew exactly what he had to do. Will that help him against a guy like Brunson? I don't know, but I'm with you. I share skepticism. Not that he can't do that for three rounds. I think he can. In other words, like, will he gas or something? I think he can, I think he can, he can stick to that if it works for three rounds. But what if it doesn't work? Cannoneer hurt Robert Whitaker on the feet in the third round. You know, if you can land on Whitaker, and by the way, after having his eye nearly shut, he was still landing on Whitaker. Brunson doesn't have those kinds of skills that we have seen. So I agree. This is a takedown or bust kind of scenario for Derek Brunson, I think. You know, I just rewatched Cannoneer Whitaker before the show today. And, you know, I do think Whitaker thought he had a stoppage there. I think he thought uh, Cannoneer was more hurt than he was. And obviously, shout out to Jared Cannoneer, bloody and on the bottom, Luke. At one point, full mount, you know, he works his way back to his feet and then lands big strikes. But I think, you know, uh, Whitaker was unfortunately got himself a little gassy in that moment. But the point here is that 37, Jared Cannonier is showing me, like I said on Wednesday, I think he's going to fight for a world title. I think he's still on that run. The Whitaker setback, Luke, you could say he started too late. I mean, he finally had his first taste of real fight-changing success late in round three. But, Luke, those leg strikes he was landing throughout that fight, they're taking down many a guy. They are. I mean, Whitaker dug in, took that shit like he did against Romero. But, uh... Cannoneer is, he gives you too many reasons not to take him down, Luke. The threat of his punching power, the hard leg strikes, he's just a big dude. You're not going to, you're not going to get a clinch and trip and take him down. Uh, he's in a great spot. And I think he, I think he showed us against Gastelum that he really learned how to fill some of those holes in his game that he showed the limit, the limitations that he showed against Whitaker. Do I think he can beat Whitaker out of Sanya? No. I think he can get himself to to a spot to face them again, though, and have obviously a threat. And I think he's just better than the best version of what Derek Brunson can bring. So I think he stops him, Luke. I think Cannoneer gets mm. a stoppage when these, within wow. these three rounds. And also, here's the other thing about Cannoneer. By the way, he's 37. He's going to be 38 in March. But even then, one thing that he brings to this uh, particular fight, really the middleweight division in a lot of his fights, he's pretty fast, actually. He's pretty athletic and Dude, to your point about those leg kicks, he's a physical fighter. I mean, you could say what you want about what state Anderson was, Anderson Silva was in the career at the time he fought Cannoneer, but Cannoneer was fucking laying into him, dude. Cannoneer can thump. He can land with authority. Dude, that could have a major deterrent effect. And when you add in the, the good scrambling and athleticism, it, he's, a, he's a potent force. The only thing I would say is don't you agree, though, like in the back of your mind, not just in the wrestling, wrestling sense, but in terms of MMA wrestling, Brunson is better than Cannoneer in that respect. Okay. I mean, look, if you're telling me you see the future, Cannoneer spends half of this fight on his back, it's a different conversation. Right. At that point, you're totally, it's totally divorced. I just think we don't talk about it too much about, we often talk about these fights being functions of like skill difference. You know, uh, uh, one person has more skill or less skill or the right kind of skills. We don't talk enough about athleticism. And I got to say, the athleticism of a guy like Cannoneer, I think, is uh, 
pretty special and, and, and I think will be relevant anyway in this particular contest. Check one, two, three. I, I think I had some. I Look, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be uh, MK without some tech issues. Right. Hey, by the way, before I forget it, would you say Adesanya's. Uh, wow. Sorry. Adesanya's celebration of knocking out Whitaker is among the best we've ever seen in this sport. The, how cool that freaking was with the full on. Dave Batista machine gun and the and the dance and the the you know the breaking two electric boogaloo moves, Luke. That was pretty badass. Yeah. You yeah, don't celebrate badass moments enough in the cage, Luke, all right? That's true. I agree with that. There should be more. <sighs> all right, Luke. Um, we talked a lot storyline-wise about Roxanne Matafari going into her final fight here as a plus 300 underdog to end her 50th pro fight to end what has been a pioneering. Long suffering, but a lot of highs in there as well. Career come back from a seven fight losing streak in her prime. But Luke, something I teed up to you on Wednesday, but I don't think you fully took the bait. 24 year old Casey O'Neill seems to be a potential player in this weight division. She'll be a minus 400 uh, favorite from Scotland. Are we looking at her more because of that incredible story about her losing a tooth? No, Luke, she's a damn good fighter. She fights nasty. She's great on the ground. Uh, how will this work against all the things Marafari does well to neutralize up-and-comers? Marafari is, I would say, her skill set lies predominantly, like her best work is predominantly in grappling. Um, I tend to think that's where she is a little bit most at home. So the question would be, what can she do there, assuming she gets on top of from her back? From her back, she does have a good guard, but I don't see that as like a winning the, are the best way to get a win on top. She is actually, she's, she's a uh, pressure passer Would that could be a noteworthy path to victory. But you know, uh, somebody like Casey O'Neill, you just sort of look at what she's done. You're absolutely right. All her fights in the UFC so far finishes and you know, Shana Dobson and Antonia Shevchenko are not the very best that the division has to offer, but they're not scrubs either. Like, and she got past them uh, both inside of two rounds. She is, she has good finishing instincts. She has good finishing skills Obviously, she's, I think, the much younger of the two. She's only 24 years old, so I think she's going to have a physical advantage as well. Um, yeah, dude, she is hard to handle. She's got an edge to her, too. I like the nickname King Casey. I, I think there's something to watch here for sure. 8-0, 3-0 since coming to the, the Octagon. You mentioned the big names that she took down so far. This, uh, outside of the retirement angle from Matafari, this is a very good sort of test to find out where Casey O'Neill is at. Luke, I love the storyline surrounding that one. Uh, what fight, forget storyline, what, what, what's a really competitive X's and O's fight here that you're not sure who's going to win? Great question. Um, I am going to say, well, I, it was the one that fell out, was the Schnell versus Perez fight. That was the one I really had some hopes for. By the way, William Knight missed weight by 12 pounds. He has to oh, give up boy. 40% of his purse. Woo! 40% of his purse. Um, but I think the other one that I'd be paying attention to a little bit uh, is the Andre Arlovsky and uh, Jared Vanderoff fight, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. We all know what Arlovsky does. It's the main event of the prelim, so to speak. And we all know what he does. He's got this new style where he kind of slows the fight down. He stays on the move. He's constantly turning these guys, and he gets these shots in slowly over time and then avoids the best work that they can do. It's such a great test. Are you a heavyweight worth paying attention to? Well, you got to get past this guy first. It's, it's unbelievable that this guy had wars with Pedro Hizzo before UFC 40 even, and here he is at UFC 271 still doing, quite literally, relevant MMA. It's, it's just it's a miracle what he has been able to put together. Would you say he's the Roxanne Modafferi of the heavyweight division? 
No, because dude, he was a belt holder. Like he really hit the highest level of this. Uh, oh, of course I know that, but I'm saying he's become sort of that slow the game down. Uh, you know, Montefiore's got that sneaky counter jab, Luke. You look like she's slow and can't hit a thing, and then suddenly she's in your face backing you up at times, you know? She has worked on her striking. I didn't really mention that part. You're right. It's a little unfair to leave that out. To be clear, she has really worked on that, and I think it played a role in some of her more recent wins. But in fairness, historically, grappling has been her base, and so that's I bring it up yeah. for that Both reason. Both have but... old guy at the park game, you know? Like, I was watching Luke... Uh, the uh the 1999 NBA playoffs last night on YouTube. That's how I entertained myself. And man, Larry Johnson, you know the four point play against the Pacers. He had such bullshit old man game at that point because he couldn't jump anymore because of the back injuries. Look, he's just banking stuff in left and right. That's how I get down on the court, Luke. Okay, I, I make shots you you didn't think were possible. I'll miss all the the natural wide open ones, of course. But you know, uh, yeah, like a when bit we of did that wizard. when we did that free throw contest that that never made the light of day. Yeah, remember that? Wow. Yeah. That was a good use of our time. Uh, Luke, uh, we mentioned this quick on Wednesday, but we, you have to like this Bobby Green, Nazrat, Hawk Parast fight. And and Hawk Parast looked like he was building something until he ran into Dan Hooker. He's a plus 120 underdog against the minus 140 Bobby Green. Uh, are you taking plus money here for Nasrat? Uh, no, I'm a big believer in Bobby Green. I tend to think he kind of fights up to opposition and then down to opposition, depending on which way he goes. And Hack Parast is a guy who will stay in the fight the entire time and come forward. But I just feel like Bobby Green, when he's on, and you know we'll see because he can be a little bit inconsistent, but when he's on, he is a supreme talent. He can flow. He makes adjustments. He makes good reads. He is not afraid of anybody's offense whatsoever. And, dude, he's a dog. Like, if you want to have a dog fight, he'll have one of those with you too. So between the fact that he's a, like his gameness – is not in question, and then you actually kind of throw in the fact that he's kind of super underrated. I like Bobby Green a lot. I, I think very highly of him. And obviously, uh, sometimes you got to tune into that curtain jerker to open the card, Luke. I don't know if it's 6.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm, I'm never sure when these fight cards start. I can tell you. But, but Adesanya's teammate, Blood Diamond, I think yeah. they're calling him that as not a nickname, but a damn name. Wikipedia still has it as Mike Matheta. Is that how you say it? Mike I'm not even sure. All right, early prelims, be, by the early, early prelims, by the way, start at six. Okay, he'll be the opening fight. It's a welterweight bout, and Blood Diamond is plus 90, 190, I'm sorry, against a minus 235 Jeremiah Wells. Is this just a, he's got a good backstory and a cool nickname, and he's Adesanya's teammate, or is it, you know, is Blood Diamond going to have his time here, Luke? Is he the next big CKB thing? I, I, I will be absolutely candid with you in the audience. I have not in any way dedicatedly. I've, I've seen a couple of his uh, fights on the regional scene, but I don't really remember a lot about it. I, I, I don't really know. Uh, I'm going to be sort of the same position as you. Let's sort of see, wait and see what we got here. Because you can imagine, like, you know, how many guys from one camp can be super elite. I don't know. We're going to have to find out. But they got to prove it first. I'll have to have uh, Kaposa on the uh, extra credit after today's show, Luke, to break this down. I'm sure he's seen... Uh... Blood Diamond yeah. at every stop along the way. By the way, you know, we got that guy Tim Boxeo on Twitter. I love these just, you know, the, the hardcores, Luke. The, I mean, the 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 European streaming hardcores, Luke, you know? Yeah, there's a, there's a Hispanic kid that posts uh, MMA GIFs from all around the world as well. He's pretty cool. I, I forgot his name. These are the guys that populate the shit, you see. Uh, Luke, can I close up shop here? You got anything else to say about UFC 271 on Saturday? Uh, yeah, you should follow Barrele La Pierna. Uh, that's the guy. Uh, Barale La Pierna is how you, it would sound to you. 
Chardade? Chardade? Um, is he yeah. Colombian, Luke? Is this what this no, is? No, he's from. He lives in Argentina. But he he is like he's like the Argentinian Caposa. He posts a ton of cool shit. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, you don't have a best bet on the undercard. Jacob Malkoon comes in over AJ Dobson as a minus one hundred five favorite. That's that's your best bet, right, Luke? I, I guess I've not looked at the odds in that uh, kind of way. Shout out to Hainato Moicano. We love that fight with Alexander Hernandez. Hernandez, by the way, came out and was like, "Why the hell is this on the early prelims? This fight rules." It, he, it, it he's kinda, right. Yeah. He's right. It really does right there. We'll we'll see what happens. All right, Luke, our final topic of the week is quick hitters. Everyone loves that, Luke, where we give we let LT uh, get teed up and give an opinion on news of the moment. Luke, it's a fight this Saturday in England, in the UK. It's an afternoon start, 1 p.m. Eastern on DAZN. But in the main event, Daniel Jacobs stays at super middleweight and takes on a game John Ryder, who at one point looked like he was coming on as a potential dark horse title candidate and contender. He, people think he got screwed over in that big fight against Callum Smith, which kind of stopped his potential. This is an interesting fight. Minus 160 for Daniel Jacobs as the favorite. But, Luke, we saw Daniel Jacobs during the pandemic against um, uh, Gabe Rosado. And, you know, Rosado kind of, some people thought, got screwed on the cards. And at the very least, whether Jacobs deserved that win or not, he didn't look like Danny Jacobs at 35, Luke. Is there still a run for him? He's bringing back his original trainer and his uncle, Andre Rozier. Uh, and bringing back some members of his original team, which always seems to seem like a guy is going all in again and resetting. Do you have high hopes that he enters the David Benavidez, Demetrius Andrade, Canelo, Caleb Plant, Jamal Charlo, 168 sort of larger picture? It would be nice, um, like another big name that is doing their best work in the division would be fun to have. And I do think that Jacobs will win this. But I think it's going to be pretty close. I think ultimately the difference, and this is what I, I again, I, you know, to be clear, I'm not like I've been covering Ryder's career for years. He, this is all, um, you know, in the interest of transparency with the audience, relatively new. But what I hear a lot of, and it was a pretty consistent theme when I was researching it, a lot of the experts think that, you know, Ryder is the much better infighter. But yes. A, getting into distance is going to be a bit of a problem against a guy as slick as Danny Jacobs. One and two, he's as a consequence, Ryder is just more, more hittable. You know, for me, for Jacobs to lose that fight, he's got to be a little bit past it, which you could argue maybe he could be or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I Jacobs, Jacobs is definitely again a game to a game, he's the slicker and I think the better of the two. The question is, are you getting a game to a game? I don't know. We'll have Absolutely. to see. Absolutely, it's worth the question. He just he didn't throw enough punches against Rosado. He was gun shy. He ended up Luke in the in the uh, interviews this week saying, "Hey, the the, the lack of a, a crowd in that Rosado fight during the pandemic really messed with him. He's excited now to go to the UK, where of course the crowd's going to be nuts. It's an Eddie Hearn matching yeah. scorecard. Um, yeah, he's got to let his hands go. He's got to be the badass that he actually is. And he's had a, obviously a great career story, beating cancer, winning a middleweight world title." going the distance against Triple G to end that knockout streak, maybe being a couple 15, 20 punches away from making it interesting against Canelo, but uh, we'll see if he bounces back. Ryder plus 130. If you like underdogs, he can get inside, as Luke said, and push a good pace. We'll see what happens. Uh, Luke, we had an interesting exchange here. So Sean Porter does the podcast called The Porter Way, and you know I love that guy, but he had a very interesting take when they were counting down their top five welterweights of the moment following Keith Thurman's victory uh, just recently. And Porter went on a run saying, Jerron Boots Ennis, maybe the next big thing at welterweight, is, quote, overrated. He said, this is why I say he's overrated. Everyone is so hyped up on him, but he hasn't been in the ring with any world champions yet. 
Don't forget that I'm the dude that said he's the closest guy to Roy Jones. I said that on the record, and I believe that, end quote. Luke, this was like, this was a which little is surprising. It? Which is it? Which is it, SP? I love Sean Porter, but what, which is it? Is he the so, closest like, thing to he, Roy Jones? Or? Is he angling here? Because this, like, what do you, the, the absolute backbone of what he's saying is not completely untrue. Even though Boots is coming off, you know, great wins over, uh, over Thomas DeLorme, a former, you know, a high-level contender. But no, he hasn't beat one of the champions yet. So I get saying, let's hold the phone on giving him the keys to the kingdom and saying he could beat Spencer Crawford until he starts beating people. I get that. I don't know, but there seemed to be some like angle in what Sean was saying. And of course, the clip got around to Boots Ennis. And here was his response on Twitter, Luke. I heard you, Sean Porter, say I was overrated. You was just saying I'm ready. And too much of these guys, LOL, too much for these guys. And you said you won't fight me. But keep that same energy, though. If I'm so overrated, come out of retirement and fight me. Now people retire and I'm overrated. So, Luke. Um, I do catch the clips from Sean's podcast and I'm a big Sean fan. And he had mentioned that he had thought about retirement going back to the Spence loss, right? When he, when that decision was read, he was considering going back to the locker room and trying to break it to his dad that he was done. He hung on for a few more fights, great performance against Terrence Crawford, but he's walking away on his own terms while he still kind of has it though. Is there any part of you that sees this as Sean Porter? Maybe just plant a little, little salt bay seed in there just just a little you know hey maybe i would come back for the right money to teach this kid a lesson you know what I, mean? I, I don't know if i don't know if he would come back for the right money per se i don't know what that's about but um jesus christ but what i would say is i, I might pick i don't know, do you pick boots ennis to beat sean porter it'd be we a don't... great it'd be a great test yeah for exactly it's like I, I just might because boots is that good Although I grant Sean Porter is extremely good as well, so there is that. But but the point I'm trying to make here is no, he hasn't. Has he beaten the kinds of names that uh, that that Porter is is observing? He hasn't beat Porter is right in that sense. But dude, dude, a these motherfuckers don't want to fight him. Let's just be very clear about that. They don't. They no one wants to lay down and have to be the guy that Boots made his name off of. But one of them is eventually going to be that one. And so the thing I think Sean Porter is doing is, A, having a kernel of truth and then just trying to get his podcasting and broadcasting career off to a hot start. So, you know, uh, God bless him for it, but I completely disagree. Well, it is a way to get people talking. It, it worked, Luke. But uh, It did work. Uh, Spence Ugas coming up in April. I, I, I think the report out there is that it's going to be a Showtime pay-per-view, although Showtime has not formally announced it, Luke, but that was the boxing scene report. So I'm looking forward to that one. I, I, I love this division. It's going to be some fun fights this year. Uh, Luke, also the biggest women's boxing fight in history in terms of stakes and all that is obviously going to go down April 30th MSG when Amanda Serrano takes on Katie Taylor for all four of Taylor's lightweight world titles. Luke, here's something interesting that came out of the press tour that they just did. They did it in New York. They went overseas to the UK. During that, Serrano said, we're making the biggest payday, both of us. I think we should continue to make this fight iconic, make changes in this game. If Katie Taylor is willing and I'm ready and able to make this an equal fight, 12 rounds, three minutes per round. Uh, Luke, obviously that's something we're all calling for at the highest level. Why do we have these limitations? Why, you know, what? why would you have two minute rounds and 10 round championship fights? It doesn't make sense. It stalls certain things from playing out. It, it prevents knockouts in a lot of senses. I love that Amanda Serrano, the fighter here is like, look, 
all things equal, this is the biggest fight ever. Let's make it big. But Katie Taylor said, I don't think it'll make a huge difference to this event. It's already as iconic as it is. Luke, do you think Katie Taylor's pressure style is better off against the big puncher Serrano with two-minute rounds and a 10-round distance? Well, Katie Taylor notably declined, right? Doesn't want a three-minute, uh, 12-round fight. Uh, so should be noted. Listen, it's not like Katie Taylor suffers for volume. You know what I'm saying? It's not like that's a weakness or something in her game. It's but her I don't strength. Know any, it's yeah, her it's strength. A complete, it's a complete strength. But I don't know if anybody can match. Like if, if there's anyone who can match and frankly exceed that volume, it's probably Amanda Serrano. I, there is absolutely in my mind a, a element of nobility to what she is trying. She is right. They should be three rounds, and the big one should be twelve, uh, three, three minutes, excuse me, and then 12 rounds um, in the, 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 you know, the full sense that all the men get. However, it is probably also, we should just point this out, she wouldn't be doing it if she thought it was a significant strategic disadvantage. I think she probably views it, rightly or wrongly, as an ultimate advantage for her in this particular case. And so that's also behind her effort here. So that's to me why Katie Taylor declined it. I think Katie Taylor wants the, that, the, the two-round mark because she does Agreed. great volume work as well, but she wants it in that space. She's, she's Look, Serrano's the bigger puncher, even though she's won titles in seven divisions from like 118 to 140 or 135 or whatever. Uh, she's the bigger puncher historically. Taylor's a volume, in-your-face, great technique, combinations. This setup favors her. That's that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Uh, Luke, uh, Max Holloway got cleared medically, and he announced that he wants to be the backup to the upcoming Alexander Volkanovsky title defense against the Korean Zombie. But hold right there, says Volkanovsky. On Twitter, he came out and said, at Blessed MMA wants to be the backup fighter for the fight he was originally scheduled to fight. So in other words, he was never injured. Just hoping he doesn't have to fight me or fight me while I'm preparing for someone. But hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Emoji and no. Uh, Luke, is he right? This is this is this is a loaded loaded take from Volkanovsky. But is could he be right here? I uh, I mean, dude, if you can't get the benefit of the doubt on injury after what Max Holloway has done in his career, then you cannot get the benefit of the doubt on injury ever. It, it, I mean, he has. Max Holloway's record of dealing with physical punishment or pulling out of fights or whatever, we all know famously the time he was on whatever show it was, UFC Tonight, when it was still on FS1, and Michael Bisping was like, dude, you look all right, and they had to pull the fight in the whole nine yards, like, and they still don't even know what the hell that was. And they, they had to do that to Max. He didn't want to pull out. Dude, if Max is not able to compete in fights, or at least he doesn't think he is, he probably has a really good medical reason for that. I understand high-level champions, in the case of Volkanovski, putting themselves in a competitive mindset where they would want to say these kinds of things and think these things about their opposition. Uh, and yes, you, you, it could be possible that Max could get some kind of benefit by sliding in at the last second strategically or whatever, right? He could have some wrinkle that, that uh, Volkanovski couldn't prepare for or something. But dude, if you can't give Max Holloway, who has That's been fair. in the trenches of all trenches... The benefit, I, who can? I, it's impossible. Well, would would this have not been a thing if Max came out and said, hey guys, I'm medically cleared, dare UFC, no disrespect to the Korean zombie, but let's just go back to the original plan. I'll I'll slide in. I'm cleared now. Would he that probably have... tried. They just told him to fuck off. Yeah. It's just weird. If he's back, why are we why are we doing this? You know, zombie doesn't necessarily deserve this right now. It was a, like, you know why he was put in. There's going to be an interesting fight, whatever. There's a threat. 
But if you can make this trilogy, may, look, I have a feeling we don't see this trilogy because sometimes that happens in this game. It does happen. Korean Zombies got great boxing. You just never know. Styles make fights. Absolutely. Uh, Luke Anthony Pettis has made the rounds this week, not only uh, with the announcement that he's coming back for a second PFL season, but that his first uh, card as promoter goes down tonight. Showtime FC is the name of the promotion. It'll air on UFC Fight Pass. The card will take place at the Jenkins Arena in Lakeland, Florida. Um, this isn't as big as the recent Habib comes to America. This is day one for the new promotion, and he's, you know, he's he's looking to be what they are, a potential strong regional promotion that can build potential UFC fighters. I had him on Morning Combat. It turned out to be a very fun chat about, you know, his legacy and all that stuff. I encourage people to check it out. But here's Anthony Pettis uh, talking about transitioning mid-career or, or the end of it, at least, to uh, the promotion side of the game. When did this dream sort of pop into your mind to get into this and not wait until retirement, but start it right now? Yeah, I actually had this plan for a while. You know, I think um, it came from my, my brother's career, you know, seeing where Sergio is at, you know, the Bellator champ of the world right now. Um, that kind of helped him, guide, guided him in his career decisions, if you will, you know, where, where he fought, when he fought, what weight class he was fighting at. So I kind of was playing that role in his uh, career already, you know, kind of like manager, promoter, um, you know, making sure he was taken care of well. Um, and we have great agents as well. But, you know, I was playing that. I, I saw that side of the business. Um, and I, I think it started when I was like 16 years old. I opened my first Taekwondo gym uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, and I saw the entrepreneur um, mindset, you know, and see like, man, I could make as much as money as, as, as the work I put into this. And then um, fighting kind of led that to, to, to be true. You know, all the work I put in, you know, led to this position here. And now with the, with the fighting show, it's like, now I can give these guys a, a, a way to get into the, the bigger shows. Luke, he's a, he's a business man. He, you got to give him credit mm -hmm. that he seems to have a firm handle on his, you know, post-fighting future while still able to be a big name in PFL and, you know, go after fun fights and try to make a run. Um, is this, are, are, is this a trend you see happening? This, this, uh, you know, fighter, the face of the promotion thing. Uh, and is there enough room for this many regional shows to work, Luke? Your thoughts on this this move for one showtime? I, I think it's, I, I, who the hell knows? I don't really know. I have a feeling that UFC is making a larger play about gobbling up feeder leagues for the UFC. Like, uh, let's, you know, I, I don't know to what extent they've, if you're on Fight Pass, you get a production budget. So, um, that's a big help for any would-be promoter, and especially if you can be on Fight Pass, which you have access to all the UFC fans and everything else. But I, you know, like for example, with these UFC gyms, when they brand them with a particular fighter, whether it's like Cub Swanson or Michael Bisping or even BJ Penn, they get some royalties associated with it. I don't know how the financial arrangement works. All I can say is, dude, on the regional scene, most promoters I know make jack shit to very little. So, like. I know that Eagle FC, or at least I've been told Eagle FC is like majorly bankrolled and has a ton of money. So that might explain the way they're able to do things. But I just want to warn folks, my experience with most shows on the regional scene is the guys who stick around a long time, they make a thin but consistent profit. But it's not been like a bonanza to, to get rich, not even close. Most of these guys go out of business pretty quickly. So I would be curious to know what the financial arrangement is that he believes he can confidently make a bunch of cash because that's not been my understanding, but maybe the game has changed. Well, of course, I asked him, Luke, about fighter pay, not only in the sense that, you know, he was a free agent who went elsewhere from the UFC. Um, and, you know, he's going to be a promoter whose job is to pay the fighters. So I think we've got a, a one final piece of uh, content here from Pettis talking all things fighter pay. 
it's a challenge. It's all a challenge, man. You know, like it, you know, all the fighters um talk about fighter pay and they talk about um you know being treated differently and um it, it's different when you actually step up and try to like make that happen. And that's where I'm at right now. You know, because myself as an athlete, as a fighter, you know, I'm still currently fighting. I'm 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 kind of the the figurehead of for these guys that are on my show to be treated fairly to be to see how it's supposed to be done. You know, when I when I came up in these ranks. I was fighting in, uh, you know, bars in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where they were smoking cigarettes while I was fighting. You know, it was like, it was a, it was a free for all. So now I'm just trying to bring a little more structure to it. You know, there's other athletes and other fighters doing the same thing as well, which is, I respect it, man. The more, the more opportunities we have as fighters that we can come together, the better it is for the sport. All right, Luke, hopefully you can give back a little with that thin line. That you yeah, take. but I mean, just to be clear, like when we talk about fighter pay, yeah, what the guys make on the regional scene is, you know, it's criminal. It's it, There's not much, but I keep going back to it. Dude, they don't make a lot of money. Yeah. Like if people don't, if you don't have a TV contract of some kind and you don't have a, like a loyal fan base that buys tickets at the door, dude, like where are you supposed to make money, especially with like post-COVID or whatever the fuck we want to call it, COVID times, where it can be really hard to, to, to get either of those. You know, uh, the, the I'm sure Pettis will do the very best that he can, and, you know, we'll have to see how things go. But the argument about pay is not at, like, oh, we should, you know, hold regional promoters hostage who barely are making any money. <laughs> no, we the should argument, hold those billionaires hostage, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the argument is about the dudes who have the money. That That's that's the pot we're trying to get more equitably um, arranged. Well, look, you know what I love about regional MMA? Anything can happen, so we'll see what <laughs> happens. Showtime FC Hey, maybe something happens there that ends up in Monday's Have You Seen This Shit? It's got to be the goal of every local promoter. Uh, Luke, we got some Bellator fight announcements in that March 12th card has been announced. Main event, a number one contenders bout at Featherweight as Adam Boritz takes on Mads Burnell. Phil Davis versus Julius Anglicus in the co-main. A uh, couple other decent fights on there. Alex po Easy Polizzi taking on Jose Augusto. That's the guy that, that took Rumble Johnson to, into a war, Luke and came through uh does that march 12th card uh you, you got any feelers on who comes out on top in the featherweight division it's an interesting fight so that Bur the burnell and borich fight that is a phenomenal fight because borich obviously came out like a bat out of hell and then had a couple of setbacks and is now trying to work past the setbacks and is still young and very 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 talented this is a good fighter uh, but we all know Mads Burnell, one of the guys who, you know, didn't quite have his best showing in his time in the UFC, but is a very good grappler, very well-rounded. Both of these guys training at good camps. That's a hell of a fight. I have to say, though, I don't hate the Angliscus uh, and Davis fight in the sense that I'm like, oh, it's the worst fight ever. I don't, I don't think that. But that's an interesting choice. Is that the headlining fight, I believe? That's the one that's main event. That's the co-main event, Davis Angliscus. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, he, he, it's kind of... Um... Yeah, it's not overly fan friendly, but let's see if Anglicus can can bounce back from from the loss in the uh, in the tournament just the same uh, as a as a that just that just doesn't have uh, fireworks written on it at all. That yeah. one is probably going to be uh, a little dull, candidly. Phil Davis is, is is still he's still able. He's still got a name, but I'd like to see no, more. No, Phil offenses. Davis is the, here's the thing. Phil, both dude Anglicus and Davis, they're good dude. Those are good fighters. That's a good uh, fight in the sense of. Um, are these two worthy adversaries? And this is these are high-level fighters, of course. But Styles make fights, and both guys are a little bit hesitant with their offense, and that just can... I'm glad it's three rounds. I'll put it that yeah. way. Yeah. Give me the full Coke or Pepsi. I don't want to stop and shop Brand Cola here. Bring it, Phil Davis. Uh, Luke, you mentioned Mads Burnell. Seven-fight win streak since leaving the UFC. Right. Has won all three Bellator bouts, including a three-round decision over Emmanuel Sanchez, former two-time title right. uh, challenger. So... Those, that was a very good win. Boric is a tough out. 
Uh, Luke, a lot of fanfare for this one. When May 6th, when Bellator goes to Paris for Ryan Bader, Czech Congo 2, your co-main event, expect fireworks, expect a large combined total age between the two fighters when Yoel Romero and Melvin Manhoff touch gloves in a light heavyweight bout. Luke, I feel like that should have been Yoel's Bellator debut, right? G give him a potential body and a fun all-action fight. Not put him in there with the wrestler Phil Davis, but you know, um, there's not. This will be a, this will be fun. It won't be criminal, right? We won't see man who like get knocked out for the fifth straight time, right? I don't know, dude. I mean, I don't know. Like candidly, dude, Manhoof's been fighting a while. Like yeah. he's had taken a lot of damage. The thing is, I just don't understand this matchmaking. It's like, okay, is there a possibility where a Romero gets KO'd? Yes, unlikely but possible. Uh, and then on the other side, where Romero could get a big win over, you know, an opponent who has taken a lot of damage. Yes, but if you're gonna, I, I'm with you. If you were gonna do that, that was the fight that should have been made upon his entry into the organization, uh, which they gave him Phil Davis, and he just didn't look right the whole time. And the other part is, dude, like I, I mean, candidly, I don't, I don't know if Manhoff should be fighting. Honestly, he's had a lot of damage, man. So. That's um, not by Corey Anderson in his De Bellator debut recently. Exactly. So it's like, you know, it's it's um, Romero could shine here, which I think is probably the objective, but it's a strange fight. If they're both washy, this could be a like a it could be one of those fun fights, Luke, that just turns out to be. But man, that's the other part, too. Like, dude, if Romero loses this fight like that would be bad. That would be a bad sign yeah. about his aging at this point. Um, so we'll see. To be fair, Manhoff is two and three in his last five. Uh he, look, sometimes it's all or nothing with that guy, and that's why we love him. That's why it's fun to watch. But we'll see what happens here. Quickly, Luke, does it move you? May 14th, UFC Fight Night giving you Angela Hill versus Verna Jandiroba. Yes. Uh, Jandiroba, or however you pronounce her name, has proven to be, you know, not the very best in that division, but given the very best hard time, she has good finishing skills. She has dedicatedly worked on uh, the part of her game outside of grappling. Yeah, that's a tough fight for Angela Hill. No doubt about it. No doubt she about it. She has a framed picture of herself on the uh, MMA Hour set, Luke, because she came out to that uh, Island Boys theme song her last fight. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, finally, Curtis Blades, Chris Dawkins in a heavyweight fight. UFC Columbus, March 26. Heck yeah, Luke, right? Thought they would have given Blades to Gone. So uh, it's a little interesting that they didn't. I guess that they wanted to just, I guess Blades didn't want to wait or maybe Gon's taking some time. Who knows? Because that to me seemed like a very interesting and potentially challenging fight for Gon given Curtis Blades' uh, skills. But same kind of rule for Chris Dawkins. Chris Dawkins is, you know, we saw what Derek Lewis can do. Could Chris Dawkins do something similar? Maybe you don't think so, but it's a, still a dangerous fight. Or Curtis Blades is just going to win and be like, I'm still that guy that, you know, is at the top of this division and is still hungry for an opportunity against the very best. Luke, uh, maybe I thought your your Sean Price shirt could look like you're shouting out the P1s out there in the MK universe. In a way. In a yeah. way. You're like, yo, Aaron from Washington, my guy. You know what I'm saying? The guy got Land Jaeger for days, Luke, all right? Uh, Luke, everything... <laughs> not everything we say into the microphone each week is um, correct or appropriate, to be fair. But unlike other shows, we take ourselves to task. We stand in front of that mirror... And we allow morningcombat at gmail.com, the email entry point for Wednesday's fan subs and Friday's dead wrong. Uh, uh.
All right, look, this segment has become much maligned, almost as much as the fan subs on Wednesday, but you and I like to give the people a chance. Craig, Sam, and Jordan sliding in on Wednesday's show at the start before he did the embarrassing hump day motion. (laughs) Luke said it's February 9th, 2020. It's actually 2022, but with COVID, no one has idea what day or what it is anymore, so let him off. Luke? Yeah, yeah, I'll take that L. I I get the date wrong probably more than anything. So yes, that's fair. All right, Kai, KY, Kai, K KY Jelly, Kai from Ontario, Luke, says on Wednesday's episode at 118.57, Luke refers to Francis Ngannou's imaginary purse of 2.8 million plus pay-per-view points from our uh, over-under segment as potentially generating four or five million for Francis. He claims this is, quote, literally orders of magnitude greater than what Francis has been getting. Even at the low estimate of 600000 per fight, to qualify for, quote, orders of magnitude, it would have to be $60 million at a minimum, as $6 million would only be a single order of magnitude greater. It's always great to call out Luke for bastardizing the English language because you can see it strike him to the core of his soul. But the real reason I submitted this dead wrong was to say that BC definitely made the classic mistake of showering for far too long this morning <laughs> because he looks washed as fuck. Ah, ah. Hi from Ontario. Luke, will you take that L? Yes, I will take that. I'll hold that L. Oh boy. Wow. That was a little nerdy. I didn't know there'd be math on this one, but, uh, and, and, by, and by the way, like he just shits on me for the entire thing and then just blindsides you like a fucking <laughs> runaway car. I mean, I, I do look a little washy uh, over the zoom cam, Luke. Okay. <laughs> maybe it's not, maybe it's just the cam. Uh, Greg funny. says the honorable Luke Thomas was dead wrong. on MK's inaugural high court segment when okay. listing the accolades of Michael Bisping, while highlighting the, you guys have to realize how high Luke was. While highlighting the reasons Bizping should be in the Hall of Fame, Luke said it took Bizping 26 octagon appearances to finally win undisputed gold, claiming this was the most in UFC history. However, no, I don't know if Luke misread the UFC's Wikipedia page or something, but this distinction actually belongs to Charles Oliveira, yes. who won gold in his 28th appearance. It was the middleweight division, I think, that he holds that record. Probably, yeah, probably, Luke. Uh, Jean-Marc is here from Montreal, Luke. Brian keeps talking about Whitaker fighting 15 rounds since first facing Adesanya. Of course, that's inaccurate. Bobby Knuckles fought 13 rounds after losing his title as the Cannoneer fight was a three-rounder. Yes, it was. That was the pay-per-view co-main event to, uh, what was it, Luke? What the hell was it? It was, uh, I don't know. All right, either do I. Uh, there's nothing that says BDE like getting your facts straight. All my best, Jean-Marc. Jean-Marc. What an, All right. what an absolute hold that L, Yeah, I guess I'll hold that L, okay? I told Whitaker he fought 15 rounds. He only fought 13, Luke. Uh, what we were trying to mention was UFC 254. Uh, and that was, of course, uh, Habib versus Justin Gaethje, Luke. We know what wow. happened there in Abu Dhabi. Okay. Uh, finally, Luke. Finally. This is from Jordan on episode 258, one hour, 30 minutes, 55 seconds. Aloha, BC in the Have You Seen the Shit references round five of Holloway versus Lamas. Of course, Luke, that was UFC 199, where Holloway points to the ground to invite the slugfest within the last 10 seconds. Oh, it was only three rounds? 
and me BC in the forum that night, Luke, that was a moment. The crowd, that Mexican American boxing crowd in, in Southern California, they were loving that shit. Good memory. Other than that, there was no round five BC. It was a three round fight. Good job holding down the fort though for two weeks while Luke was gone. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I agree with that. You know, I brought it. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, was it your flavor of tea at the end of the day? I don't know. What are you, an Earl Grey guy? You like to get up on Earl? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. All right. <laughs> Luke, how do we transition out of that? Uh, Luke, Sunday, of course, is Super Bowl LVI. Uh, Bengals. 56. 56. Yeah, Bengals yeah. versus Rams. And, of course, yep. Luke, Joe Burrow, the QB of the old Cincinnati's, uh, Follows Morning Combat on Instagram, so shout out to that guy. Look, do you know, I was reading up on Joe Burrow, who, of course, Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, first round pick, uh, first pick overall uh, two years ago, that Luke, his youth coach, reached out to his parents and was like, he has a poise to him in big moments that I've only seen before in, like, serial killers and, like, you know, first responders. A calm under pressure, an ability to navigate tough waters. Luke, it is reminiscent to... To, to me, under the bright lights broadcasting, when it when it's time to go, BC gets psychopath on you. He gets sociopath. He brings it. Can we end the show? Luke, prediction, who you got? You don't care? Uh, I don't know if they're going to win because I don't watch enough Bengals or Rams to know, but I'm hoping that the Bengals win. So let's go. Uh, do you have plans, Luke? You got a big Super Bowl party. Is there going to be like some well, Colombian food and stuff? I was I supposed wait. to hang out with a friend and his family for Super Bowl, but uh, we had a little visit last night and, uh, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. And so I think he's still mad at me. So uh, do you I think, think he did he utter, utter at all these edibles ain't shit and then later regretted that? Luke, did that happen? No, he didn't taunt. He didn't taunt, but um, they call it getting smacked for a reason. Because he got fucking smacked. Um, so. So you're saying those those were <laughs> those were the shit. Those yeah, yeah okay. All right. It was it was quite a show. It was quite a all show. All right, all right. Well, shout out to you and your people, Luke uh, Armenian, and uh, and shout out to the Indians, Luke. Right. We yeah. got to end the show. I mean, you're really just going to get us in trouble at this point. This is time to know your know when it's time to exit, and it's time right. to exit. All right, all right. Uh, my name is Brian Campbell. That was Luke Thomas. Shout out to Malka. Showtime, CBS Sports, all the labels that'll be removing us from this job soon. Uh, shout out to Gaff Pierre on the ones and twos. You can follow us at the addresses below. You can like, please, please like the video and subscribe. The subscriber numbers, they, they, the higher they go, the higher we get, Luke. That's probably true, right? That's very, quite true, actually. There's a okay. correlation there that is, that is undeniable. All right. Uh, all that and then some tall, pale, and handsome. Signing off is your boy, BC. Uh, you know, buy armor, you know, all that good stuff. But, uh. At the end of the day, enjoy the fights this weekend. Enjoy this middleweight madness. I cannot wait Saturday night. Luke, will you be on afterwards for an MKIA? Post-fight show right here live. As soon as the main event for UFC 271 is over, come on back to MK, and we're going to have a nice post-fight show. Can't wait. And obviously Monday, we'll, 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 we'll take those storylines and extend them forward and bring you a loaded show. Luke, you and I going back to the old bomb shelter uh, in a couple weeks so get excited people right yes excited about that not next week but the week after should be fun all right for luke thomas i'm your boy bc uh reminding you uh that we love you take good care of yourself okay we're getting through this winter we're almost done we got two more words for you oh shout out to bob saget well i mean a head kit what happened here luke i mean damn bumped it bumped his head and went to sleep is that not frightening and it shows you just how fragile this all is it broke my heart to read that so terrible
So terrible. Yeah. On that note, we out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.